0: I've really been looking forward to talking about Deborah we don't normally talk a lot about her and it baffles me because she's fascinating but we'll get right to that after just a little bit here um, you saw the giving meditation that was um, wonderfully found and the way she puts things together we're so grateful for Kirsten she always makes things pretty She's the one that finds all of the, the graphics and makes them move about and such because I wouldn't. And every week, God bless her, she she lives in hope. And she'll email me and she'll say, What images do you have in mind for this? And I'll write back and said, My image is actually you sitting there doing it. Because <laughs> I don't. <clears throat> I've got nothing. Now this, Kirsten, you really need to have a talk with Miss Cammie because. Ms. Cammie can explain to you why she never says, do you think this or that when it comes to anything decorative or even useful around the house, but we're so grateful. Uh, we're also grateful to our Safe Harbor people. Uh, last week, a bunch of them fed poor people in here in Middle Tennessee uh, that had suffered much with the floods from a year ago. Today, I believe it was, that the floods hit Waverly. Uh, But they were out there last week because these people are still in trouble, still have great needs. Eastern Kentucky was very devastated by what they're calling a one-in-1,000-year flood. We had a visitor here last week who was on his way with a team, and he sent me a whole lot of pictures. And we'll see if we can get some of those up uh, to show here, but also maybe on our website. But our Safe Harbor people are going everywhere, and they are serving... And this once again, because of your generosity and giving, we'll be able to help one generation away and grace works here locally again this week. So thank you so much. And it's, it's important, I think sometimes to just to keep everybody caught up. Uh, I was asked, are we, are we trying out worship ministers? And no, we're just having visitors come by who uh, know more chords than I do, not hard. And <laughs> And helping lead us in these things. there are uh, just to catch you up to date, there are all stories have many streams, and just like Deborah's story, and we'll get into that in a bit. I've always found it very um, the juxtaposition of judges and Joshua, because Joshua is very linear. This happened, then this happened, then this happened. Judges is all over the place, And all over the place is what life normally is we were taking a look at our vision. Uh, Our vision was always to make this portable. Wherever you are, that's where we are. To make it simple, to make it accessible, whether you're in Africa or you're in Canada or you're in Mexico or whether you're in uh, even North Dakota, which finally came along. uh, And wherever you are, Slovenia this last week, uh, we want to make it accessible and we want to make it useful for you. And so we were bringing worship back down and making it simpler again and many of you have been writing and thanking us for that and we appreciate that very much our worship minister had done us a great job and done a lot of hard work but it became obvious and she let us know that this was just not going to meet her needs financially and otherwise and so we have uh, we love her and we have uh, paid for her to have a time to find the job that she really really wants but that's all there is to it and people will sometimes say, well, aren't there other issues? When people are involved, we all have issues. We are all a of it, but that's really, that's all that's happening here. And we appreciate you asking. Everybody's well, everybody's fine, except for me. And I'm just getting old and old and old. But this work is just too fun to stop. And so thank you for being a big part of that. So are you seated comfortably? let's begin the story. Deborah, she was a judge and a prophet over Israel. And can I stop there already and ask us to adjust a word? Because many of us, even in our Bibles, it'll say prophetess if it's a woman. In the original languages, there's no differentiation between a male and a female who's called prophet. In the English language, by the way, this is going away. We used to call a male who'd lost his wife, a widow, were, and a woman who'd lost her husband, a widow. Now they're both called widow. We used to call them actor and actress. Now they're called actor, and the reason is it seemed to be a little demeaning. And in fact, we called them diminutives in the English language, to you know, comedian, comedienne, you know. And it was kind of like, you know, well, she's trying, <laughs> uh, and the language just wasn't helping us here. There are prophets in scripture that are women. More about that in a bit. But here's a woman who is a judge and a prophet. But to understand the world in which she lived in Judges 4 and 5, you have to kind of go back to your your high school. I, I would assume somebody told you this somewhere. Israel was in the Bronze Age. But their neighbors had moved into the Iron Age. Sometime before 1200 B.C., people knew about iron but they didn't use it because it was brittle it was considered an inferior metal but around 1200 bc in what is today turkey that asia minor they began to add some other ingredients in and made iron far harder more durable shapeable than bronze and so israel is at a great disadvantage they're still in the bronze age but their enemies have moved into the Iron Age. That becomes very important. And it's also important to remember this. In the book of Joshua, it looked like Israel was just triumphing every day. You'd hit this city, you'd take that city. You'd make the next tribe, you'd take that tribe. Very linear, like I said. Very this then that, tribe by tribe, territory by territory. But the book of Judges is very different. All of a sudden, Israel is struggling to take any territory. And in fact, they are losing territory. They are losing national cohesiveness. In fact, during this time of Deborah, if you were to ask her, what is is the Israelite people like? She wouldn't really have an answer for you because the concept of a united Israel didn't exist. You had tribes. And the tribes didn't always get along. And I had very often no interest in helping one of the other tribes because that's that tribe, we're this tribe. It was a divided, difficult time. A lot of wins, a lot of losses, a lot of gives and a lot of takes. There was no feeling now that Israel is unstoppable. And when we talk about war in the book of Judges, you need to understand a couple of things. One, it's not so much what you think of when you think of war as a series of guerrilla actions. Think more in America, Kansas, during the pre-Civil War years, when you had raiders from all sides all of a sudden showing up at a farm, and the people are butchered, and the people are taken, and and the crops are taken. That's kind of what it was. And The second thing you need to know about wars back in the day was you had to be super incredibly rich and powerful to have anything approximating a standing army. Standing armies just weren't done. Not unless, again, you were super rich. Instead, what you did was you just went to everybody and say, we need you to show up to fight. And then that's the militia idea that was placed into the U.S. Constitution. Most don't have anything like that in their constitutions around the world, uh, even those that have a constitution. But that whole idea of, well, we're not going to be able to afford an army, so everybody's the army. Uh, Switzerland still has that to this very day, that everybody in this age group you're in the military well the people of israel were in bad straits the moabites and canaanites had taken turns literally it's kind of like whose turn is it to beat up israel this year destroyed their harvest took their people killed their people enslaved their people and there was a judge named Ehud who had killed the, the very fat king of the Moabites, because that's what everybody remembers, is when he plunged in a knife, he couldn't get it back. Uh, and he, the, he called the people to battle, Ehud did. And the people were at peace, we're told, for 80 years. Then the Philistines came. Philistines are also known in history as Phoenicians, the Sea Peoples, and other names. They were very powerful. They had a great culture. They had a great art. They invented the alphabet that most of us are using uh, in this nation. They had a lot of that uh, going for them. But they didn't like Israel, and Israel didn't like them. So Shamgar rose. Shamgar is in the list of every list I've ever seen of judges. Interesting little tidbit. The Bible never calls him a judge. But he stepped up, and he led a rebellion against the Philistines, and they had a little bit of peace. But the people, again, were not united. The temple would not be built for a very long time. So people worshipped privately in their own altars, all around. There was no central priesthood, no central anything, no national identity or cohesiveness. And so what do we do? The battles between tribes became a problem. One tribe of Israel didn't like the other tribe, and they would actually come to blows over it. And here we get another theme in Judges. It is the haves versus the have-nots. In Judges, it is the weak against the strong, the rich against the poor, the male powers against the females, you have all this juxtaposition and play that you'll miss if all you're reading is going, ooh, ow, ooh, the stupid people, ooh, ah. No, people, people. We all are a bundle of issues. And God chooses the weak. Look at this. You know, Deborah, a woman. Jephthah, he's another judge. He was a son of a prostitute. You've got uh, Samson. We're going to talk about Samson. Samson was an issue. With legs. Not, there's not one Christian church on the planet that would have let Samson park the cars. <laughs> and yet, what God did. Oh, by the way, next week's Judas Iscariot. It's, there's not many spoiler alerts, but you might be interested in what we find as we go through. Israel was weak and largely disarmed, by the way. You couldn't afford swords. And if you had swords, guess what you had? bronze it comes up against the new iron yours is going to bend yours is going to lose its edge yours is going to break so a woman rises to lead them now was this unusual among Israel it must be said that it kind of was however it's not without precedent you might be surprised at the number of women in the Old Testament scriptures who are referred to very plainly as a prophet Moses' sister in Exodus 15. Hulda in 2 Kings chapter 22 is the reason they had a nationwide revival and come back to God. She was a prophet that they went and asked to lead it. Noadia, uh, she's lesser known, but she's Nehemiah 6 verse 14. And then Isaiah's wife, we don't have her name, but he went to her to get her prophecy, since she was a prophet before he accepted the call of God to be a prophet himself Isaiah 8 in verse 3 interesting we don't really hear about that but there she is now here's another aspect just to remember no central government so what is this basic unit of society it's a family well who's important in the family Well, dads certainly are important, but moms are certainly important. And in an agrarian society, it was much easier for a woman whose importance in the home was understood to also lead society. And so powerful women were all over this day and age. And by the way, in the book of Judges, every woman is strong and their leadership unquestioned. I like that. Well, Deborah held court under a tree in a central area. And if you don't really know much about um, the way the Semitic people tell stories, you might go, huh, and move on. No, that, they're making a point. She's in the open. She's making her decisions in the open where everybody can hear the arguments. There is nothing shady about Deborah. Deborah. She is cleaning up government. We like to say drain the swamp. But in my lifetime, nobody's drained the swamp. They just swapped their alligators for the other guys. She went to the mountain and everything was in the open. So immediately, you know she is honest, true, and that nobody can question this. Well, no bribery, favoritism, no grabs for power. But her name is also interesting. Deborah, by the way, means bee. And that may not have any great significance here, but it's just, I like to know about that kind of stuff. But there's a phrase that the translators just butcher. And they translated the wife of Lapidoth. It should not be translated that way. And more and more versions are getting it now. It should be called woman of lightning. It was not about who she married or belonged to. It was about this woman was a woman of action. By the way, I love the, the, the graphic. We don't know. She might have been in her 30s. She might have been pretty. She might have been hunchback. We have no idea. The Bible doesn't tell us anything about this except here's a woman of lightning who lives in the center of the society. They come to her for wisdom. This is an important person. By the way, she will have a general that she uses whose name is Barak. And Barak also means lightning. And therefore, God has called out two people of lightning to make a change here. I love that. And they do a lot of wordplay in Semitic languages, so this is on purpose. Now here comes that factor I talked to you about a while ago. The Iron Age has come to the Canaanites, but not to Israel. With iron bands on their wheels. Oh well, here you go. You've undoubtedly, if you're in America, you or in Canada with the, the push west. You have seen the movies where the wagon wheels will all of a sudden break. They're made out of wood, uh, or the iron band will come off and then the wheel's gonna go. Canaanites were the first ones to figure out you could put iron around a wooden wheel and your chariot could take the force of changing direction. Before this, chariots, if you had any, were basically carts and you drove them up to action and everybody jumped off the cart and fought, then they got back on. But if you've got iron wheels, and they could have been solid iron, because that did exist very shortly here, or iron bands, you could actually steer, and you could hit rocks, and you could keep going like mobile cavalry. And that changed the battlefield dramatically. You might think it's, I'm overplaying it here, but I'm not. Even the invention of the stirrup changed warfare in Europe because now somebody could fight from a horse. And Isaac Newton's third law, where every action has an equal and opposite reaction, meant instead of hitting them and the force actually knocking off the ho- your horse, you could dig in and you had hold. Just the stirrup changed. The Mongol invasion really failed because they didn't figure out the stirrup. And when it showed up, now you could fight them off their horses. Well. We're told 900 chariots. And that's an odd number in Scripture. Because Scripture likes to use numbers to mean something. Like 3 or 6 or 7 or 12 or 20 or 40 or 1,000 or tens of thousands. Because they didn't have a number bigger than 1,000. The heads just keep saying lots of thousands. But 900 is an odd number. Which makes me think it's one of two things. One, that's exactly how many chariots they had. Or they might be saying, not a thousand. They don't own all the chariots in the world, but they own most of them. And there's not an infantryman in the world or a farmer holding a stick in the world that wants to face Calvary. And that's what these were. Well, what's the effect? They had cowered so long, they were unprepared to even fight anymore. They had nothing. And the scripture says this, listen to this. The roads were abandoned. Travelers took to winding paths. Village life in Israel ceased. Wow. So Deborah was holding the nation together. She was the judge, the fourth in the long line. She was the one that settled settled the matters that lower courts could not settle. However, um, she was not in charge of the army. Because only God could be in charge of the army in Israel. He was the commander in chief. Do you remember Joshua 5 13? One of my favorite passages. Joshua's not afraid of anybody, he just isn't. He's just tough. city, just get it. Except one night before they approach Jericho, he goes out into the darkness to pray and he meets somebody there, a mighty man clad as if for battle. And whatever he looked like, terrified Joshua for the first and only time in his life. He hit the ground. And he said, Are you for us or against us? A very important question. He didn't get a comforting answer back. The man said, Neither. I command, the God, I command God's army. So the question is, Are you with God or not? I remember that story. I got chills again. I remember that story a lot because there's this thing we pray and I think it's fine to pray, you know, God go with me or God go with you. I think that's fine. But I think every now and then we need to flip that just to remember we go with him. He's the commander of the army. You got to pull back every now and then and say, instead of saying, hey God, let's go over here you got to say, where are you going? And by the way, that's what we're trying to do whenever we always come back to our v- original vision. We always make course corrections. If, if a church doesn't, it'll go off the road and flip and forget why it's here. But if you're driving, and if you're in a church, God's going to nudge you this way, then that way. He's going to make you slower and make you go faster. Deborah said, I'm waiting on God. And then God said, go fight them. So she calls her general, Barack, and Barack goes, All right, if you say so. But I'm only going to go if you're going to go. And there have been people that have called him a coward here. And, by, and she does a little thing there, saying, If I go with you, then they're going to say a woman won. You're not going to get any glory. I, I think that was rather playful. It could have been harsh. I don't really care much. What I do want you to do is ease up on Barack, Because back in those days, if you really wanted to get your people ginned up for battle the head guide better be there. And all the way up to the medieval age, you'd be carrying these banners. And they used to ride on horses with all the bling and the like. And you know what ended that? Americans. Because they weren't content just to stand out there and fire with rattly old muskets that might hit somebody. Oh no, you had to invent a rifle that could actually hit what you shot at hundreds of yards away and there's General Bling McBling and, and he's over and the army's going, well, look at the time. So until, that, until rifles started being deployed, uh, I'll never forget the American general in Gettysburg was famous when he was being told by his people, get, get down off your horse, he says, they couldn't hit an elephant from this dit." That was his last phrase. I have stood where that happened and thought, dude, I'd laugh at you, but I might be you one day. So I, I got to understand that. Well, Barak and Deborah say, let's raise the army from Naphtali and Zebulun. Why only those two tribes? Because the others refuse to fight. If the others won't go with you, what do you do? Well, and, De- and God praises. Um, here's the way it's done. In Judges 4 is the story. Judges 5 is the song about the story. And Judges 5 gives a little bit more detail. So we hop back and forth between the two. And uh, God gives a little bit more information in uh, a, a very strange phrase in Judges 5 two. Many pr- will we'll translate it the princes or the warriors. It actually means to loose your long hair. It was a phrase that meant... The best in Israel loosed themselves for battle. Think about the the battle of Thermopylae. Think about the the Spartans holding the pass. The night before the big battle, the Persians sent in spies to see what kind of opposition they were against. And they came back laughing, saying that these men were merely women because they were just combing each other's hair. They did not realize that in Sparta, combing each other's hair was a death ritual they were committing to stay there till they died and so the phrasing here I this you could there's no way you can translate it this way but it is most reminiscent of William Shakespeare's play Julius Caesar when Mark Anthony says cry havoc and let slip the dogs of war I want the tough ones I want the ones who are not afraid or in Revelation 12:11 those who will not love their life so much as to shrink from death. Those are the people we want. Well, the ones who did not come they're listed. God knows. Reuben had a great deal of sympathy with the idea of national importance and they would say so and they'd write songs about it and they would sign decorations that we like national independence. When the time for fighting came, you couldn't find them. So it's almost like Reuben was a whole tribe full of politicians. Then they just stayed in the shepherd's field and they listened to music instead, the scripture says. Wow. Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh rested Dan and Asher were too busy with business some of which was with the Canaanites so we don't want to mess with them because we might lose some money Judah and Simeon aren't mentioned at all but we give them a break because we find from other sources Judah and Simeon were fighting the Philistines they had their hands busy they were were full rather Naphtali and Zebulun show up 10,000 men gathered and again when I was a boy I always thought it's amazing how everything happens in round numbers It just meant all of them. The whole totality of them came. They had whatever um, weapons they could fashion. They really had to enter this battle like the Battle of Stalingrad. Those of you who do not know this. When the Germans invaded Russia, they were not quite prepared for the number of people in Russia that were going to be willing to die to make that fail. When the Russians were shipped across the river or run up in trucks to be thrown out on the front line, they had no weapons. Their job was to pick up the weapons from the dead Russians in front of them and fire it until they died. And then the next Russian will come pick it up. It was a Stalingrad issue here. They did not have weapons. They had threshing tools. Uh, very much like in, in Asian martial arts, you'll have you know, the nunchaku and nunchucks, you'll have the bow and the like. Those were all threshing tools that were used, um, not the way they're mo- used in the movie. And by the way, horribly inefficient weapons do not write me. They were. Um, even the great Bruce Lee said, all the training in the world is trumped by an iron par. <laughs> so these these people, These people, um, the battle was going to be very difficult. It looked like a perfect place to die. They stood before the Brook Kishon. This time of of year, the river would have been just a brook. It normally is a mighty river. Rain almost never falls in this area between June and September. So again, it was a perfect place to die. There was nowhere to run facing 900 chariots and who knows how many other kinds of forces they had. Deborah told Barak to attack again in war You do not attack unless you've got a four-to-one majority in power. It doesn't have to be people. It can be, you know, materiel. You prefer an eight-to-one. They're outnumbered, and she goes, attack. And Barak does. And as he does, as he does, rain hits. Rain to the point where the chariots get bogged down and can't move. And now they are easy pickings for the swarms of those from Naphtali and Zebulun who showed up. The Canaanites were quickly crushed and Sisera, their great general, ran. There was no plunder. They were through taxing, pillaging, and raping the Israelites. Sisera abandoned his chariots and ran on foot while his army died. And his retreating army had to go through the little town of Medaz. But the people of Medaz deserved it because they had refused to come out to fight for Israel. And now the mean army beaten is going to just kill as they go through. Sisera gets to the tent of a woman named Jael. Um, Not, all right, I'm in the south here. Not J A I L. Which is pronounced Jael here. <clears throat> it's J sorry. It is um it is J-A-E-L, J-L. Uh, most likely even pronounced Ha at the time. She was the wife of Heber the Kenite. And you might be, why do they always have to say who she belonged to? Eh, it's because she was married to him, but she wasn't like him. And here we gotta talk about the Kenites. The Kenites were a small nomadic tribe that were already in Canaan when Israel showed up. The Kenites didn't mind Israel people at all and formed friendships with them. And so they pitched their tents toward Israel. That's the way that's said. Except Heber did not. The scripture here says he pitched his tent toward Canaanites. So this is a family that voted different. Husband and wife. And she has not given up who she is because Ha'el or Ja'el means Jehovah is God. She came from a Jehovah family, a Yahweh family, and she had not given it up. Although the Kenites were also known as ritual priests. By the way, you you know another one. Moses' father-in-law was called a priest in Midian Midian and a Kenite. So there's some blood there. Well, this woman, she's going to be an agent of God. She let him in because he was thirsty. She gave him milk to drink, more than he'd asked for. That's a very Bedouin nomadic thing to do, to give more than you asked for. And I don't really want to go into great detail here. I'm just going to tell you that it is very... The phrasing in Semitic languages that is in Judges 4.18 repeated twice also shows up in Ruth. It It involves a seduction. How far? Don't know. But again, Sisera would have been expecting the Kenites to be involved in pagan worship with ritual prostitution. Somehow she got him distracted, tired, and at ease. And then she picked up a tent peg... And a hammer women set up the tents for the Kenites she knew how to do this and she just nailed his head to the ground so hope you're enjoying vacation Bible school kids we have a craft for you to make and a song about hammer 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 him dead now there's an alto lead because it's a Stamps Baxter song. Um, the stuff I would not have put in Bible is much, is much, actually. Barak came by looking for Sisera. was shown, she goes, there he is. He's not going anywhere. Um, the Canaanite king freaked after this, and the Israelites got excited, picked up the weapons, and they drove him from power and took his or his city. And Deborah composed a song commemorating the battle in Judges 5. It's a great great song but there are also some things that trouble us because we don't see a lot of Jesus in these stories we just don't but there are some things we see he is called the one of Sinai God is called the one of Sinai what does that mean on Sinai is where God reintroduced himself to the Israelites after destroying the gods of Egypt you remember the Moses story so he is the God of Sinai as a reminder of who he is Her song says that the people had chosen other gods, listen carefully, as a way to fit in and to make peace with their neighbors. But choosing other gods brought war to our gates. Put that on a t shirt, put that on your homes. We need to work that into our phraseology because when you choose other gods you are welcoming war to the gates of your homes and the gates of your lives. The have-nots again. Tent-dweller, warrior. Mother, assassin. Lover, killer. And it concludes with a picture of Sisera's wife, the great Canaanite commander who died. Looking through the latticed windows of her rich house full of attendants that are singing about everything's great, he's just delayed because of the killing, the raping, and the robbing. Think about this. But you don't have to. You can actually go and search for these. Phone calls intercepted from Russian wives to soldiers in Ukraine, telling them what to steal, and that when they raped to use a condom. The days of judges are not gone. Just because we live in a very safe, protected area where we can complain about things such as they didn't have my brand of butter. A lot of the world's still in this time where wives still encourage their husbands to destroy and brutalize as long as they bring home the right stuff to steal that they can resell. By the way, anybody that wants to write me saying the Ukrainians did this I don't know that they did, but it wouldn't surprise me. See, there's the thing. You bring war into your lives, and Jesus seems to leave the equation. We need to be very careful what gods we worship. Well, this the story ends with her looking out, but he never comes home. The story of Deborah should give us insight on the wisdom strength, and bravery of women, the value of courage, the need for unity, the need to stand up and show up wherever God needs you, as Deuteronomy 6 puts it, along the way. I'm going to invite back up Kurt and Marette, and again, so grateful that they went out of their way to come here. They weren't just passing by. Uh, and it, it mattered because... We have a very thin front line, and because we move about quite a lot, uh, going to house churches, visiting you out far afield, um, there are times we're going to need to have songs and other things recorded. So this crew right here, they, uh, they recorded 21 songs this weekend to help us, and we are very, very, very grateful, especially those people who have heard me sing are so grateful But you're here. Listen, I got an amen. My first amen of the day in this room. All right. I'm going to go ahead and capo up too, just in case my voice won't do this.